Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. So let's start how we started last week. Some of you were not here. So I just want to show you the clip one more time of the movie from uh, Mr. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's a very horrible scene, and some of you probably watched the movie. But you can just watch it again in just a few words that Jesus Christ said. Based on this movie, and this part of the scriptures actually comes from Matthew chapter. You don't have to go there. It comes from Matthew when Jesus Christ is crucified. But we actually dealt with it over the last week. So we do a quick review so we know where we are. We're all on the, all on the same page. So just do quickly five minutes review. What, what did we actually learn last week? Remember, as we're talking this part of the movie here, we're, talk, we're, we're, we're reading the scriptures from Matthew. And, you know, I I get you all the way back to the sacrificial system, to the book of Leviticus. What did we learn there when it comes to sacrifice? We learned for number one, that in all Levitical sacrificial system, there is no indication, not just there, but in any part of the scripture, there is no indication that sins were ever transferred from the worshiper to the victim to the sacrifice. No any single scripture states that my sin were passed to the animal or my sins are passed to Jesus Christ. There is none in the Bible. And just based on this movie, the based on some of this one, one little things that Jesus said on the cross, there is kind of all kind of different confusion. And some people quote some scriptures that I gave you last week, like, you know, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 and Galatians 3.13. And how people take this, mostly these two scriptures, and say that Jesus became sin for us. What do we learn? Point number two. Any offering, and especially the sin offering, especially the sin offering, was very holy to God. Holy to God. I want you to open your Bible to Leviticus chapter 6, because I want to... Get this point into your head. Sin sacrifice was holy. Sin sacrifice was never contaminated with the sin. It was holy. It was holy to God. Leviticus chapter 6 and look at verse 25. Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. And here in the English translation, you have, it is most holy. But if you go, from, if you go to Hebrew, the basically holy is repeated twice. It's repeated two times. Kadesh, Kadesh. 
If God repeats something twice, He wants to get your attention, something that is especially holy to Him. Holy, holy. So this sacrifice, the sinful sacrifice, is holy. It's holy to God. It can be never, ever contaminated with sin. Point number three. We also, as we learn from the scripture, that sin offering was holy basically all the time. It had to be unblemished before, otherwise could not be offered. It had to be unblemished. It was holy during the entire process, the entire the ceremony, all the way. And the sin offering was even holy when it was eaten and it was burned, just the ashes alone, after the sin offering that they were burned were the holy thing to God. Holy thing to God. And the part of the sin sacrifice in the Bible was eaten by the priest. Remember when Jesus said in John, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's what he was relating to. It's holy. It could never, ever be contaminated with sin because otherwise it would be rejected by God. And remember how we explore the point number, next point. Remember that the exact words that actually Christ said on the cross, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? This is exactly the title, the same line of Psalms 22 in your Bible. So remember, we went through some of the scriptures from Psalms 22. And as you know, probably we were shocked. You just read it, crucifixion of Jesus Christ in this Psalms to the details. What was Jesus Christ doing there? He was just pointing everybody. Just go there, open your Bible. Just go there and see what you can read about my sacrifice, holy sacrifice. Psalms 22. Holy, holy, holy. And we all can come to the conclusion at the end, verse 5, point 5, that Christ's sacrifice was the most holy Holy, Kadesh, Kadesh, think to God. And Jesus was never, ever, he could never, ever be abandoned by his father. Not in the moment that he needed his father the most at this time of his life, at, this, at the tree. So that was basically it, what we covered last Sabbath. We, did into, we went into more details. If you haven't listened yet, please welcome to go and see it. <clears throat> With your Bible, verse by verse, line by line, just to make sure that, you know, I'm not trying to pull something new on you. And I fully understand that this part is very controversial. It's basically against all the teachings of all the churches, from Protestant to Catholic to even Worldwide Church of God and many other groups. So as we examine the personal sacrifices for sin, we also have to look at the Day of Atonement. And let me just mention here that I just, I just covered Day of Atonement as a, as a little detour. 
the message overall is not just about the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement is just a little detour because Day of Atonement is talking about the sin offering too. So we need to cover the two. Let's go to Leviticus. We need to review Leviticus chapter 23, 23rd on such a day as today. Leviticus chapter 20, 23. And let's actually start at verse 26 here. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day, the tenth day, remember as I was talking about the review about the holidays, I said the lamb had to be chosen on the first month. On what day? On the tenth day. Tenth day is very important. I'll get to you about the tenth day a little bit later. On the tenth day of the seventh month shall shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And this day is so important that verse 20 it says, and you, shall do no, and you shall do no work on the same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before, before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on, on that same day shall be cut off from his people. That's how serious this day is. But verse 30. Any person who does any work whatsoever on the same day. That person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever to every generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls. And God here is very specific. You shall afflict your souls starting on the ninth day of the month at evening. And from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And I know we try to push it from sunset to sunset. But it actually doesn't say here in sunset to sunset. It actually starts from the nine. You know, it's easy to come, let's say, I eat a big breakfast or get big dinner and just walk into the church and say, you know, oh Lord, I'm fasting now. I just had my dinner half an hour ago. God says, no, I give you a head, a head start. So it starts fasting just before the 10th day of the month starts. But the day itself is on the 10th of this month. Now, as we read all of this, I said the tent. How, how come the tent is so important, brethren? What do you think? Why the tent? The tent of the month is so crucial. It's so important in the Bible. You know, just for reference, you can find it. You know, the number 10 is used 242 times in the Bible. 242 times, number 10. The designation tent is used 79 times in the Bible. And it can mean... Things like ten means testimony, can mean law, responsibility, and completeness of order. Completeness of order. You know, if you look at the, all the holidays that we keep, right? Look at all the holidays that we keep here as a church. We'll start from the Passover day. We'll start from the first day of unleavened bread. The wave sheaf offering day. We have the last day of the unleavened bread. We'll go to Pentecost, we'll go to the Feast of Trumpet, we'll go to the Feast of Atonement, we'll go to the first day of the Tabernacle, we'll go to the seventh day of the Tabernacle, last great day. How many days? Completeness. Completeness of order. Number 10. Don't have to go there. When you start your reading Bible from the beginning, if you go to the book of Genesis, you hear the phrase, you hear the phrase, you read the phrase, and God said. 
What do you think? How many times is in the first chapter of Genesis? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Ten times. Number of orderly completeness. Number ten. Passover lamb was chosen by the people on what day? On the tenth, on the first month. The goat in the temple was chosen by God, not by the people. On what day? On the tenth of the seventh month. If you go to the Gospel of John, I can go on and on. Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am, and he mentioned the door. I am the way of life. I am the bread of life. And on and on, guess how many times? Ten times. So ten times is a very important number in the Bible. And God does his things on specific dates for a reason. So we can find out, we can read, and we can understand. And this particular day, the Day of Atonement, is so special. And it's so different than all the other days. So different. And, you know, I love to explore it. I love to explore it. That's why I say I'm not going to check the clock. We have all day here, so we're not going to check the clock. You don't check the clock. We'll go to the beginning. We'll go to the end. We'll be all over the place. Now, as I said, before we go to the Day of Atonement itself, to Leviticus chapter 16, there is also an important aspect of it, and I want you to turn to Leviticus 17. Fioris back, Pastor Muru gave, gave a sermon about the importance of bloods, and he mentions how many different types of bloods that exist here on earth. And blood is something special to God, right? Look here, 17 and verse 1. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and, that, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of the bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. Think about it. You kill an animal. You think you're doing God favor. You think you're doing a sacrifice to God. But if you do it your own way and your own order, God is saying you are guilty of shedding the innocent blood. That's what he said here. Just skip down. Just skip to verse 6. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Just skip to verse 10. And verse 10, And whatever man of the house of Israel or, or of the stranger who dwells among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among, among his people. What is such a thing is so important? Why is blood important to God? 11. Verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar. To make, to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. If there is no sacrifice, if there is no blood, it can be used for atonement. 
And you have to make sure that it's at the right place. At the tabernacle of meeting. At the altar of the Lord. See it? There is no atonement without blood and without sacrifice. It's not. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16. I'll just flip the page over. As we'll study this day, it's crucial to remember and keep it in your mind all the time that this day consists of two parts. This day consists of two parts. Number one, we have to remember, is the sin offering, is the atonement for the priest and for the people, right? Atonement for the priest and for the people. And part two is the sin removal. Is the sin removal covering atonement for all the furniture in the tabernacle, from the Holy of Holiness to the altar to everything. We have to remember that. Is the sin covering of the priests and of the people at the end removing all the sins from the tabernacle. We have to keep it in mind all the time. Sin cannot be transferred to the sacrificial animal. Keep it in mind. There needs to be a blood. Somebody needs to die for atonement for us. As we all study all these little things, we have to keep it in mind. Leviticus chapter 16, look here at verse 16. Leviticus 16, verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And if you skip over to verse 32, The same chapter, Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 32. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. For the holy sanctuary and shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for the all people of the assembly. Two parts. One day. Such a big day. Such a very important day. Let's examine now. Let's go to Leviticus. We all agree on most of the stuff. There is one verse that we usually disagree. And we have a always great debate about it. There is two goats here in, chapter, in verse 5. And basically... There are more, but in majority, there are two camps. There are people who look at this and say, this, you know, goats represent Christ. One goat represents Christ, and the other goat represents Satan. And there are other group of people who say, both goats represent Christ. We've been arguing now for years. And for some people, it's a very divisive issue. How many of you think... Number one point, that one God represents Christ and the other Satan. If you don't mind, raise your hand just to, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of what we believe. We know anyway, right? How many of you, just one person, how many of you believe that both goats represent Christ? How many of you believe? And the rest of you are neutral. 
You're still unsure, I guess. Are you afraid to raise your hands? You want me to do it one more time or you're okay? (laughs) That's good. That's good. So before we go, let's now dismiss some arguments that are not biblical here. Before we actually go to this chapter 16, okay? We need to look at some issues that are not biblical at all. And you can see it on the screen. We'll tackle one by one. Number one, two goats offered on the Day of Atonement had to be exact, identical twins. They had to be the same height, the same weight. They had to cost the same money. Basically, when you look at them, from your point of view of your eyes, you can't tell a difference which goat is which. And I say we need to dismiss their arguments because it's not in, it's not in the Bible. And it's not biblical. Where does these arguments come from? It comes from the Jewish teaching. So, you know, I actually, I actually, I actually did a research, and you actually can look at Talmud. That's where it comes from. I'll give you a little bit minute just to read it, okay, if it can make any sense out of it. I'll just give you a minute, okay? So we can read it, and I'll read it aloud so people who are listening on it can know what I'm talking about. So this comes from a Talmud, Masyoma 62b. Now, the minimum of Higos is two. Why then is two mentioned? To indicate that the two be alike. Therefore, the text reads, he goes, which is inclusive, or widens the scope. You may have thought that we say two is written three times, but now the divine law has twice written he goes. What is the purpose of two written three times? And there is the explanation. One applies to appearance, the other to size, and the third to value. And basically, I heard in many arguments, these goals are exactly the same goals. You can't tell the difference. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 5. We can corroborate that with the Bible, what actually the Bible says. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 5. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Does it say here that they have to be identical? They have to be the same? They have to be the same value, the same height? And so we can recognize which goat is which, right? Is, is there in the text? It's not in the text. It just comes from the... It comes from the Jewish teaching, right? Okay, misconceptions number two. The Azazel goat was to be killed by being pushed over a cliff. And that's why, you know, people say, God, I represent Jesus Christ. And you can, you, can, you can go to Jewish encyclopedia. You can go to many Jewish sources. I have a list of, you know, encyclopedia a Jewish encyclopedia, I'm not going to read it there. It's easy. You just Google it. It's easy to find it. But basically, this is not true. And why is it not true? Like, let's look here at Leviticus chapter 20, 16. Look at verse 22. Here. Verse 22. The goat shall bear, our, the goat shall bear on it all their inequities than an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Release the goat in the wilderness. Yes, it's true. The Jews during the second temple, they actually killed the second goat. And you know, if you, if you, if you look at this, in, let's say you research it, and in Jewish encyclopedia, you can, you, can, you, can, you can see how they found a very interesting way to do it and to communicate to, communicate to the rest of the people who are at Jerusalem, if you want to. Now, let's read verse 7 and 8 here. Leviticus 16, verse 7. 
So he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the Azazel. In my translation, it's scapegoat, which is totally wrong translation. But it says the other goat is for, for, the, is for the Azazel. So if these two goats don't look the same, why do we need to cast a lot to decide which one goes for what? Remember I said that on the first month of the, of the first month of the 10th day, we pick the lamb, or the Jews pick the lamb that was sacrificed for them. On the 10th month, on the, on the seventh month of the 10th day here, God decides out of human control. God makes the pick, okay? Just on the side, go to Proverbs chapter 16. Because, you know, for us, it's living in this day and age. Casting lots is just like, you know, probability. It's just a month. Nothing more. But back then, casting lot was something very important. If you go to Proverbs chapter, chapter 16 and look at verse 33. Proverbs 16 and verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Every decision is from the, from the Lord. If these two goats are the same, why cast lots? We can just pick anyone. Doesn't matter which one is it, Right? Doesn't matter which one we pick and sacrifice, and doesn't matter which one we just take, keep it for later, and just release. If that's all the same, then what's the point? Now let's look here at verse nine, uh, Leviticus chapter sixteen. I forgot to tell you, hold your place here. And as you deal with something like that, that's what helps me to distinguish what is for what, if you have all this background information, right? The sin cannot be transferred to the sacrificial animal. There is no atonement without blood. There is no atonement if the sacrificial animal doesn't die. Don't you consider all of these things, okay? Keep it in your mind. But in this case, God says, verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offer. The one that God picked and chose, he says, I want you to bring this, and I want to offer this goat as a sin offering. If the animal doesn't die, if there's no shedding of blood, There is no atonement, right? Remember I said last time that all testaments, all scriptures must be uniform. They must agree with one another, right? Hold your place, Hebrew chapter 9. Hebrew 
Hebrew chapter 9. And let's start reading from verse 11. Hebrew chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And, as I, and you know, as you can see it, here, it's very easy to make the point what the first goat represents, right? Because it's so clear, it's so perfect. It's the one who actually went to the Holy of Holiness. Through his own blood, he went into the Holy of Holiness. No issues with that. No one would argue who is the first, who is the first goat. Go back to Leviticus chapter 16. So we can see that only one goat was sacrificed. The other one let go. Only one God lost his life. Only one God shed his blood. The other didn't. There is no forgiveness. There is no atonement unless the sacrificial animal loses his life and shed his blood. So clear through the scriptures, right? The sin cannot be transferred to the to the, to, to the sacrificial animal. You cannot transfer sin to the sacrificial animal and use it. You know what? It just, don't, it just doesn't work. You can't find it in the Bible. So now, as we go to this chapter, we have to understand something else. We have to de- understand definition, what it means to atone. What is atonement? What do we mean when we think, you know, something was atoned for? What is atonement? So we can look at the atonement definition and, you know, I'll give you all the letters. You can do your own research. You can do your own study at home. Basically, what it means is the Hebrew word kafar, which is a primitive root to cover. To cover, that's what it means in Hebrew, to cover or figuratively to expiate. How many do you know what the word expiate means? You know what the word expiate means? One person, good. I didn't know. So I have to look at the dictionary, what is the meaning of this word? So I look at the Webster Revised and Bridge Dictionary under the, under the word expiation and look at the meaning of this word. The act of making satisfaction or atonement for any crime or fault the extinguishing of guilt by suffering or penalty. And I highlight there satisfaction or atonement for any crime or for any fault. Was Jesus Christ guilty of any crime 
that was committed on this entire planet. Was Jesus Christ guilty of any of my sins or your sins? Was Jesus Christ ever guilty of that? No. He was just a victim. Just like the sacrificial animal was the agent to cleanse the worshiper from the penalty of sin. So Jesus Christ was not guilty of my sin, your sin, or the whole world's sins. He didn't take on his back the sins of the whole world. And that's why he became so contaminated that God the Father had to choose his back on him and let him go for whatever seconds or whatever days. Just think about it. If that's the case, then as you know, as I asked you last week, then what happened in all the sins that Jesus Christ took? Who cleansed Jesus Christ from all the sins? What blood cleansed Jesus? Maybe when he was buried in the grave for three days and three nights. Maybe something there happened. We don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But you see, it just doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ was innocent from the beginning. Innocent to the end. No single sin was transferred into his back. He just took your and mine penalty for the sins that we deserve which is eternal death. That's what he did. That's what the sacrificial system was all about. To remind people. Why I'm telling you all of this? Just make the connections. We're talking about the goats of atonement here. One died, the other did it. One died, the other did it. Leviticus chapter 16. I'll tell you a little bit more here as we started this chapter. Look at verse 15. When it comes to the goat, that we all agree is Jesus Christ, right? We all agree that it's Jesus Christ, the first goat. 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Something is missing here. You can read the whole chapter. Something's missing here. God omits something here. Totally omits something here. Hold your place. Go to Leviticus chapter 4. Like in this case, the sin offering, when it comes to the priest, that he should bring the bowl to the door of the tabernacle. I'm reading verse 4, Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 4. And look what should happen here. He should lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. He should lay his hand on the bull and just kill it. And you can read other, other verses. You can go through all the sacrificial system here from born offering to sin offering to trespass offering. They lay the hands, they lay the hands, they confess their sins. The animal gets killed. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15. One more time. Let's read it one more time. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil. No one laid any hands on this goat. Everyone agrees this is Christ, Jesus Christ. 
died. Innocent victim. Took the blame. Look at verse 21. Same chapter. At the end of the day, priest is clean, people are clean, everything is clean, everything is taken out of the tabernacle now, everything, verse 21. 1621, and Aaron laid both his hands on the head of the live goat, confessed over it, confessed over it, all the inequities of the children of Israel, all the transgression concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Verse 22. The goat shall bear on it, the goat shall bear on itself all their inequities to an inhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. If this is Jesus Christ, where did he took our sins? To the desert? Where did he took our sins? What did he do with our sins? Think for a moment. If this goat is Jesus Christ, right? What happened to all the sins in the desert? Is there another procedure here? And let's say Leviticus chapter 17 that says what we should do with something like that when this goat's going to be taken to the desert. How we get rid of all the other sins. Does the Bible say it? Hold your place here. Leviticus chapter 6 one more time. Leviticus chapter 6. Look at verse 26. Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 26. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. Sin offering, okay? In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, right? Verse, keep down to verse 29. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy thing. Kadesh, Kadesh, the sin offering. Verse 30. Now we're talking about the goat. Okay? Verse 30. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten and shall be burned in the fire. This is Jesus Christ. What about the other goat? Is the Jesus Christ too? Did the goat get to die? Did the goat get to sacrifice itself? Was the blood shed to remove all the sins, all the atonements, and all the stuff? That's what some people would say. But you know, some would say, but Jen, you know, you see, this goat is like Jesus Christ. It says, He bear our inequities, He bear all the sins. Oh, really? Let's study that. What the scripture says about bearing sins, okay? What the scripture says. And people who say, this goat, see, this goat is Jesus Christ, they'll go to Isaiah chapter 53. Please go with me, Isaiah chapter 53. 
How are we doing so far? Okay? Need a little break? Need to stand up and get your blood moving? Can someone get me a glass of water, please? Oh, you guys sharp. You're paying attention. I was just, I was just waiting who's going to get up and run for water. But you guys are very good. If you need a little break, welcome. You can do it right now. You know, the end is not in still a long time to go. So if you just want to stretch your hand, your legs, get the blood moving, you know, you can do it right now. If not, then we can keep going. Keep going. Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 6 here. We know this chapter from Passover. We read it every single year. But let's see here in verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. That's one of it. You see, this, this other goal bear our inequity, bear our sins. Verse 11. Just keep down to verse 11. The last part of verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and just keep the last part of verse 11. For he shall bear their inequities. It's the same thing through the Bible. He shall bear their inequities. So he says, see, Jan, this other God is bearing the all inequities of us. So it must be Christ. Because everything here is referred to Christ. Oh, really? Let's look at it. What it means to bear our sins. Inequity. We all know the Hebrew words for it. Avon, which means evil, can mean guilt, and can mean punishment. Okay? All, all of this. And it can mean punishment. So, if you go to a, clean, to a complete word study dictionary of the Old Testament. So, basically, when you look under this name, it will tell you something like that. The word also indicates, in some context, the punishment that results from sin and guilt. The punishment that results from sin and from guilt. Let's look at the other commentary, the pulpit commentary. In Old Testament, to bear sins or inequity means to suffer the punishment of sin, whether it's one own or the sin of others. Did the other goat suffer the penalty for our sins? You see where I'm going with it? No idea? Okay. So some people will say that the second goat, like according to Isaiah chapter 53... And there are many other scriptures that say, see, this goat bears our sins, right? He bears our inequity. But so far we know that the sins cannot be transferred. Right? They cannot be transferred to sacrificial animals. The sin cannot be transferred to Jesus Christ. If the scripture says, bear our sins or bear our inequities, basically what it means, it just means it bears our penalty for our sins. That's what it means. So I will give you the same chapter, the same chapter, the same verse from a different translation, and you'll see if you're going to get a different meaning. I will give you from a complete Jewish Bible, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. We all, like sheep, when astray, we turn each, each one to his own way. Yet Adonai laid on him the guilt 
of us all. Or the penalty of us all. It's a different when we say that somebody laid on Jesus Christ the inequity of us on him than the punishment of all the inequities on him. You see the difference? It's a huge difference. Jesus Christ was not loaded with our inequities. No way. He takes the full penalty for our inequities. That's the big difference. Huge difference. If we just have this understanding, this beautiful, perfect understanding, what it means to bear our sins. Look in your Bible at, the, at Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Isaiah 53, that we read so often on the Passover, right? 53 verse 5. And lead it, lead, or just read it together, like read it with me. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our inequities. The just, chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. I want, to, I want you to look at the, the same words. I just want to look at the, here at the wall. Just look at it again. Look at all the words that I highlight there. Okay? But he, who was he? Jesus Christ. He was wounded. Okay, for our transgression. He, who was he? Jesus Christ. He was bruised for our inequities. He didn't take our inequities. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And you see, by his stripes, by his sacrificial death, his blood, we are healed. Just make perfect sense. When you start adding this together. We cannot load on Jesus Christ all the inequity. We can load on him all the sins and say, you know, Jesus become contaminated with all of it. And then when he was on the cross, that's what he was crying, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because so fully loaded that God couldn't even look at him. Because he becomes sin. Unimaginable. Unimaginable. So now, Let's keep going. So let's keep doing like first, second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. Let's look at this scripture again. He became sin. It's right here, Jen. It's right here in your Bible, in my New King James Bible. It's right here. Chapter five, second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. How can you deny it? It's in the Bible. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. You see? It's right there in the Bible. How can you say that Jesus Christ did not become a sin? He did. He did become his sin. He bore our sins. He bore our inequities. No, it doesn't go like that. Now, if you look at this word, if you look at this word here, sin, the Greek word sin, the Greek word here is harmatia. And absolutely, it means sin. Harmatia is sin, but can also mean sin offering. And, you know, as we were talking with Sister Olivia last week, it's easy to check. You can check it, like in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Septuagint. So this word harmatia, okay, it was actually written 250 times before Christ. This word harmatia, the sin or sin offering. Okay, it's mentioned like in Levit- Leviticus chapter 4, 5, and 6. Harmatia is used 20 times to refer, refer as a sin offering. 
not just sin, but the sin offering. Make sense? Sin and sin offering. What difference does it make? Huge one. Look at some new translations that corrected this error. Look at NIV. NIV version. God made him who had no sin to be sin. And you see a little letter A in NIV version. For us so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does A mean? Second Corinthians. Footnote. Second Corinthians 5.21. Or B as sin offering. Now read it again. Instead of sin, just read sin offering. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Perfect sense, right? Flow with the theme of the Bible. Agree with the Old Testament, agree with the New Testament. Jesus Christ never ever became a sin. Not even for a split second. He was just pure, uncontaminated, unblemished, perfect sacrifice that took the penalty of the sin. Look at the second Corinthians from the Jewish, complete Jewish Bible. All the modern translations recognize the error, except the King James Version, that so many people claim to be the only one. The holiest one. Okay? From the complete Jewish Bible, God made this sinless man to be a sin offering on our behalf. What a difference. To be a sin offering on our behalf, so that in union with him, we might fully share in God's righteousness. Fit perfectly. Together. As a one union. Old and new. How we understand you? By understanding all. Can't skip it. We can't fully comprehend Jesus' sacrifice on the cross unless we fully understand the sacrificial system in the Levitical priesthood. We can't. We can just speculate and we can throw stone at each other. We can't fully understand. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. How now everything just, just fits so beautifully. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And in verse 2. And walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Let's move on to the next one. Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Some will say, but what about this, Jan? Galatians chapter 3. Look, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. That's the second most scripture used by the people who want to justify that Christ became sin for us, right? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Punishment of the law. That's the curse of the law. Okay. So Christ has redeemed from the curse from the curse of the law, 
having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. See, Jen, there you go again. Christ was cursed because he hung on the tree. Because he hung on the tree, he was cursed. Let's go and find the meaning. What is this actually scripture came from? What is it quoted from? It's right here from, you know, Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 21. Got to go to the source. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Look at verse 22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, that Jesus Christ committed a sin deserving of death? No way. Okay. But if a man in Israel, if any man commits something that was so horrible, that deserve of death, that is the instruction. It says you hanged him on a tree, right? With one stipulation, verse 23. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him, at the, at, bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Why? Because he who hanged on the tree is guilty, right? He's got a death sentence. He's guilty. And because he's hanging on a tree, because he's guilty, that's why he's cursed by God. Now, the same thing. Was Jesus Christ really cursed by God? Did he really become guilty of our sins? So let's find the meaning, brethren. What it means to be cursed, okay? Let's, let's, see, what, let's see what some commentary says about it being cursed for us. Again, Adam Clark's commentary about Galatians chapter 3.13. Let's see what, what the scholars say about it. What it means to being a curse. Being men at atonement for our sins, for our sin, for whatever was offered as atonement for sins was considered as bearing the punishment due to sin. give you extra time to just look at it. Because I was shocked too when I, I found it myself. Being made an atonement for our sin, for whatever was offered as an atonement for sins was considered as what? Bearing the punishment due to sin. And the person who suffered for transgression was considered as bearing the curse in his body. And I could go deeper with it, but if you go to Hebrews... There is something wonderful here that it says that God gave us something. Jesus Christ gave us a body. I don't want to go deeper into some other time, but you can go and, you know, one day we'll go actually deeper into it. I just want to stick to the subject right now. Let's look at Barnes Notes. Let's see if all these people agree. Barnes Notes on Galatians 3.13. From the curse of the law. The curse which the law threatens and which the execution to the law would inflict the punishment due to sin. We have to know the difference, brethren. And we know that Jesus Christ was never guilty, he was never condemned of any sin. 
He was innocent to the end. And he took our penalty of the curse of the law. That's what he did. And I want to read you a wonderful scripture from Romans chapter 8. You can open your Bible there, Romans chapter 8. And I'll read it from my version first, and then I'll show you some other version just to see how beautiful and convey how everything is nicely summarized. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. So I'll read it to you from my New King James Version first. Romans 8, chapter 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Let's look at NIV version one more time. And I'll give you a few others on top of that. Let's look at an NIV version. The same verse, what I just read from you, from New King James Version. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And, And so he condemns sin in the flesh. What a clearer meaning what we just read from you know, at least for me, from the New King James Version. Let's look at the complete, complete Jewish Bible. The same verse, Romans 8 and verse 3. For what the Torah could not do by itself, because it lacked the power to make the all nature cooperate, God did by sending his own son as a human being with a nature like our own sinful one, but without sin, and God did this in order to deal with sin. And in so doing, he executed the punishment against sin in human nature. What a statement loaded with so much joy in it. Can you see it? Can you understand it? Can you connect all of this together? Let me give you one more on this Romans 8, chapter 3. But this, this time from a Holman Christian standard Bible. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, our flesh. The Ten Commandments, doesn't push, they don't push you to do anything. They just shows you, right, what the sin is. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering. Huge difference. Big difference. So as you see, brethren, this day is so important. It's so loaded in all kind of me. We know even, we actually, you know what, to tell you the truth, we just barely scratched the surface here. But I can't go forever and forever, right? I have to bring someone to the, just, just to the end of it. But you know, I heard this argument for the last number of years. Some people would say, there is no way, there is no way that this goat, whatever the second goat, let's say, let's say if it's Satan, he will have a part in a God's salvation plan. Really? Let's go to Genesis. 
I go to the Garden of Eden. And let's see what happened there. Genesis chapter 3. And we all know the story. But let's pick up with verse 8. And they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave it to be to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it? What, what is this you, you have done? And this woman said, Oh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And there we go here in verse 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, and we know, we know all the stories, right? How many players we have here right at the beginning? Adam and Eve, God, and who else is there? Satan. Is he close there? Can we complete the year cycle? As we mentioned, number 10, which completeness, complete of order. Can we truly exercise our unsinful nature if the source of the sin is still roaring around? Whom he might devour? How did this, how, how, and, and you know here, the word, when you read deceive here, like when a woman says, oh, you know, the serpent deceived me. The Hebrew word, nasha, N-A-S-H-A, which means to deceive, can mean to remove, to be led astray, or to be led out. The meaning of this Hebrew word. Now look at here, at verse, hold on, chapter 4. Chapter 4, let's go to Cain. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8. And we know what happened here. One brother killed the other. Verse 12. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Why did God didn't kill him right there at, the, at, right there at that time? Why he didn't kill him? Execute the judgment on him right away. He says, no, I don't want you to do it. That's not my plan. I have a wonderful plan that's going to deal with all of these things a little bit later. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain is guilty. He's guilty of that. God could just strike him down right there and execute him for his sin. But he didn't. He says, No, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord said, A mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. 
What's the point? From this guy, we can know the history. Nimrod, all the deceptions, everything that happened to this earth happened right here, right there, from this moment. From the deceptions that took place right in the Garden of Eden. So, you know, when you say that Satan doesn't have place in God's salvation plan, absolutely. He doesn't have any place in God's salvation plan. That's why God needs need to take him out of it. God needs to take him out of it. And he will. As the time progresses. Go back to Leviticus chapter 16. First people sin. Deceive. They were deceived and they ate the fruit that God told them not to touch it. Leviticus chapter 16. Now this time, here, Leviticus chapter 16, look at verse 17. God says, verse 17, There shall be no man, no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the whole assembly of Israel. God says, you know, on this day now, no more food. I don't want you to eat anything, not even a fruit. Don't eat anything, and I don't want you to even be close. I will deal with it personally. And now, when you look at this day of atonement, we can't just conclude it right that, just like this. You know, we have to go to Leviticus chapter 25, which Pastor Murray talked about when he was speaking about having the right attitude for fasting. Leviticus chapter 25 25, and here, pick up the story from verse 8. When we're talking about atonement, we're talking about jubilee. They all go together. We can't separate them, okay? We can't separate them. Day of atonement is, day, is the day of freedom and day of liberty. And the only way we can accomplish this liberty, we can all the, way, the only way that we can accomplish this freedom is to remove the adversary. Chapter 25, verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbath of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbath of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. When all the ceremony was done, at the end of the day of atonement, that's when the trumpet was sounded. We have liberty. We have freedom. And what happened on the atonement day? Just keep reading. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land, to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. What is they picturing? How, how, how we can return to our possession? How we can return to our inheritance? We have to wait for the year of jubilee. Everything's got to be accomplished one at a time. Okay? 
Romans 6. I'll conclude here. I'll stop right now. Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, and who was the source of sin? You were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. What a glorious day is waiting ahead of us. Brethren, just as I told, as I, just as I told you, the, the day of atonement, that was just a, on the side. But I want you to think about Jesus Christ, what he represents. If you still believe that God the Father left him on the cross for a moment there, right? Because he was full of sin. If you do believe that, think about you and me. If God left his son, what that, where is that leaving us? What guarantee I have? As a sinful man when it comes to relationship with God. What guarantee do I have? None. God the Father never left his son on the cross. And God the Father will never ever leave you for a moment. For a split second. Never ever. So as we celebrate this day today. And it's nice to fast. It's not nice to cleanse our impurity from our system. What I want you to do from this day on, when you read scriptures like that, that Jesus Christ becomes sin, that Jesus Christ bear our sins, I want you to hold your thought forever in your, in your mind that he never became sin. He became penalty for our sins. You see what I'm going with it? I want you to cleanse your mind. I want you to cleanse your everything. So next time when you read it, there will be no contamination in your brain. Have a rest, have a happy of atonement, rest of it, and you know, welcome, right? Welcome to discussion. We'd love to hear your points. Let's talk in a Christian way. May God bless you all. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.